back at it with some draft talk. Combo Nation, what up, what up, what up everyone? Welcome to episode 327 of Combo's Court and I am Combo. Don't forget to rate, review, and punch down on that subscribe button wherever you tune into the show. Also, man, share this episode with a friend. Share it on social media, Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook. Share it on your IG stories and tag me on Instagram at 1-2-Combo. That's O-N-E-T-W-O-C-O-M-B-O. Today's show, we talk NBA draft with Adam Spinella of the Box N1. That's T-H-E-B-O-X-A-N-D-O-N-E underscore. Intro music by Luca Beats. Let's... Get into it. Luca, don't do it to him. Adam Spinella, Coach Spins of the Boxing One. Welcome to Combos Court. How are you feeling today? Hey, thank you so much for having me here. Really, really glad to be with you. Uh, feeling all right and ready to, to dive into NBA draft and prospects and whatever you have for me. Most definitely. Tell me more about the Boxing One. And, and sure. were you ever covered by Boxing One when you were young? Is, is that what happened? You were going off and they, they, they uh, went Boxing One on you? Oh God, I wish that would, that's a, that is the best, that would be the best compliment anybody's ever paid me as a basketball player. Uh, no, when I was, when I was in college, I think I was either a sophomore or a junior. I had this idea of starting a blog and just getting out there, having my, you know, basketball analysis be known. It was actually the idea of my college coach who said that, if, you know, if you want to get into coaching or you want to get into NBA front office work, try just getting a little bit of name out there, see what, what sticks and find ways to get yourself on the internet. So started it and came up with a, a pseudonym and a fake name of the box and one all the way back then. And I've just kind of stuck with it. So no yeah. rhyme or reason behind it. Just uh, kind of pulled it out of thin air. And when did you start paying like close attention to the draft? Obviously, you knew about it for a long time. But when did you really start diving deep into prospects and just NBA draft topics in general? I'd say I, I made a larger pivot towards it in 2018 and then really, okay. uh, really got there in 2019. It was something I always did on the side just, you know, to, to pay attention to all that stuff. But really, uh, I wanted to, to put a huge focus onto that around the same time that Draft Express got bought out by ESPN and was absorbed there. It just struck me that that was one of those areas that wasn't getting covered enough on the Internet anymore. So wanted to find a way to fill that void. What I like about the dra- draft is it, I think it takes talent. Like it's about projecting. It's not talking about what happened yesterday. It's about projecting what's going to happen. I think that takes a lot of talent and I think it's really fun. I certainly agree. And, and for me, it, you know, I think the pivot started around the same time I started coaching in college, which is when for me, recruiting started to pick up. And it was my first time being a recruiter, having to go on the road and evaluate talent and make snap judgments very quickly while seeing other guys play basketball which I really made that pivot towards the draft of, hey, this is going to allow me to sharpen my skills for my day job and really help me to, to be a little bit better there. So I think that the two have gone hand in hand really well. It's interesting you mentioned quick judgments and like just seeing things quick, because usually every year in the draft, some guy pops out at me, right? Like 
even if they're not number one on the board, like I really like this guy. I think he's going to be really good. It's been John Moran. It's been Tyrese Halliburton. It's been Scotty Barnes. Like people that listen to my podcast knows that those are some of the guys I talked about most. But this year, nobody's giving me maybe Chet a little bit, but nobody's really giving me that right now. Like, man, like I really like this guy's game and I just have a feeling that this guy is going to really pop at the NBA level. Do you get that feeling, too? A little bit like uh, this doesn't have that slam dunk prospect like each of the last few years had. And in 2019, it was obviously Zion Williamson. And I think John Morant had a a ton of of upside to him from what you and a lot of other people were able to see accurately. Uh, You know, 2020, I was a big Anthony Edwards guy. Yeah, me too. Me too. Yeah, And and there were a lot of people that love LaMelo Ball because his game is so sexy and fun to watch in a lot of those ways. And 2021, I think we were spoiled last year with a really deep, top end of that draft class we just don't necessarily have that right now uh that's not to take away from some of the names that are at the top but i agree with you that they don't come out and hit you in the face of this guy's a future nba stud i can tell just from watching the way he carries himself on the court somebody that does carry himself in a great way Jaden ivy i want to start with him because i mean obviously he's climbing on a lot of boards a lot of mock drafts but what were your thoughts on his game going into this season has anything changed and do you think he's in the mix? Because once you get into that top five, then the conversation, all the it almost always becomes, is can he be the number one pick? What are your thoughts on uh, Ivy's game going into the season? And has anything changed from your standpoint? Yeah, so a lot has changed for me. And I'll give the context for this. When Jaden Ivy was a freshman in high school, I actually coached against him and was coaching at one of his rival mm. schools before he went to Lollymere. So there's been a lot of background. I've known of Jaden Ivy for a long time. Uh, did not foresee this type of leap coming in his game. Obviously knew he was going to be a great athlete and, you know, the basketball pedigree, the background with his mom being a, a basketball coach. Right. Knew he loved the game, but uh, I always saw him as a guy that was going to struggle to shoot the basketball. And that really was reinforced during his freshman year at Purdue, where he didn't have very good numbers from deep. The shot mechanics weren't quite there. I'm always weary of guys who have high volume of shots that come off the dribble, or at least that's going to be their primary role, but who are very set shooters on the perimeter. They don't necessarily have those live legs and ability to spring into their shot. And that's a a detractor to me. So that was always a worry for a guy like Ivy. Now he's shooting above 40% from three so far this year and, and is starting to knock down that shot to the point where you have to buy into it a little bit more. I'd say a year ago, I had him as a mid to late first round guy. This year, because he's clearly worked on some of those facets of of his game, and he reminds me a lot of a John Morant or even a Russell Westbrook with just how athletically imposing he is in the full court, I think it's hard to deny him from being a top five guy. So he does settle into that range for me. I think the only way he would become in the mix for that number one overall pick is if the team drafting just has no need to get another big man. You know, if somebody gets there and, and says that they have their front court of the future already in place and they want another guard, that would be the only way that he leaps fro- leapfrogs a few of the other guys in this class. Yeah, what pops off the screen with him is his speed. Like, he just has high-end speed. And how fast he gets off the floor when he is getting loading up into a dunk. Like, versus Rutgers on the fast break, when it was like a closed game. And that windmill, it's not about the windmill, it's just how fast he got off the floor. It was, yeah. like, really impressive. And, and he's had that against NC State. He had one yeah. against Barnett Word. Like every single game, he has one opportunity where he catches it either in the backcourt or on a standstill just across half court. And boom, he turns on the Jets and flies. It's 
that's where the Westbrook comparison comes in for me. He's just so violent of an athlete. As soon as he gets one bounce underneath him, it's, it's hard to stop. Yeah. I've mentioned Chet already. We just talked about Jaden, but who do you feel is in the mix for the number one pick legitimately? I think there are three guys right now uh, and Jaden being kind of a half step knocking on the door, uh, not quite in that mix, but I think Chet Holmgren, Jabari Smith out of Auburn, who's had a fantastic start to the season, just with the way that he's shot the basketball. It's very rare to see that from a guy who's six foot 10 and then Paolo Bencaro out of Duke. He's probably the most polished and complete offensive player in this class with the ability to score on three different levels, create his own in isolation and just the physical prowess looks like he's going to be able to translate how he bullies guys over to the NBA from day one. Is it fair to say that Chet has the highest upside in the upcoming draft? defensively I think he does I have my concerns offensively just in terms of where to really slot him and what role he fills well but if if he's able to knock down shots at a high level he becomes that tantalizing stretch five who can play different types of pick and roll defensive coverage while also spreading you out offensively I think there's a ton of value in that uh, not quite sure how much I want to buy into that at this point but definitely believe that with his raw tools, his competitiveness, and just the defensive aptitude, he's a, he's a top three guy. What concerns you about the offense? First step, uh, you know, it's long, but it's not necessarily quick because he's, he just doesn't have that body type that allows him to accelerate pretty quickly. Uh, a good decision maker, somebody who I think is going to be a solid passer, but at the NBA level, you only draw help defense if you're a threat to score at the basket. And if you can get past the primary defenders and I just, I don't necessarily think that he's quick enough to get past primary guys who might be smaller or just as athletic. I think a lot of his ability to, to drive to the basket right now is driven by the fact that he's guarded by guys who are a little bit slower and not NBA caliber athletes. Do you feel like that's a weight room issue? Cause a lot of times that's like the missing piece for a play for a athlete to pop you know like sometimes they have the twitchiness a little bit but they just need to get in the weight room a little bit more and everything could come together I think the weight room is certainly going to help in a lot yeah. of different ways. he won't get bumped off of his spots you know I think guys who are particularly thin and wiry have a tough time being straight line drivers mm. but uh, I certainly think that right now I'm a little bit scarred by watching Evan Mobley because if you watch a lot of Evan Mobley's game and I actually just did a video of this put it up on YouTube he has a propensity to go to a spin move and this kind of fadeaway jump shot or hook because he knows he's not going to be able to get past his man all the way to the rim. That's, that's not something that I love in terms of shot selection. So uh, I think Chet is probably going to have some of those same issues. We'll see if added strength is, is something that completely negates it, but it is something that I'm watching for at this point. Is there a sleeper guy that you could see maybe a name we didn't talk about yet that somehow, who knows, he has a great March Madness, something happens with the G League Ignite that we didn't talk about? I mean, obviously, we could t we could get into Jaden Hardy because I definitely want to discuss him. But is there a sleeper guy for the number one pick out there? Or you probably this, these are the guys that we have for that slot. Yeah, it's, it's hard to say. I think the two sleepers that are out there right now would one be Hardy, just because yeah. I'm such a believer in his offensive upside that if the efficiency starts to come back and he, exactly. he flips a switch and figures it out over the next several months, there's no denying him from being in that conversation. The other sleeper would be AJ Griffin of Duke, just because okay. he, he was supposed to be one of the top guys in this draft class. Injuries have derailed him a bit over the last year or two, which brought him down. He's starting to get some momentum going at Duke. I'm not ready to put him in that trajectory quite yet, but with his, his shot-making upside and, and his physique, it's certainly understandable why some would have him in that conversation.
Yeah, Jaden Hardy is is interesting because he could get his shot off when just other prospects can't. Like he is a more skilled player than Ivy, right? No doubt. Yeah, he and his game is predicated all on shot making from deep, whether it's out of isolations or pick and rolls. But he's been a dreadful finisher at the basket. He's not a great athlete. I, I think he's the one guy whose strength is going to help being on an NBA caliber strength and conditioning program, adding a little bit more weight. I think he gets more pop and ability to finish through contact right now. He's doing everything he can at the G league level to, you know, lower his shoulders, dip around contact. He looks very contact averse at the bucket. I don't think that's as much of a long-term worry, uh, but I, I do understand the, the reticence to dive fully into Hardy because his numbers have just not been very efficient. Right. If he has the exact same game and shots go in, it's a totally different conversation right now. Right. No doubt. Right. Or right, I wanted to shift to J.D. Davison because he's really interesting. Like when I first saw him on highlights, he, he, it looks like he's playing on low rims against <laughs> yeah. the competition wasn't so great. And you don't know. You don't know what you're going to get until he plays against top level competition. But then you see what he does against Gonzaga, which is pretty solid. And we know all the players that Gonzaga has and what kind of team they have. But um, he's obviously elite athlete. I'd like you to compare his athleticism to Ivy. Like, where do you stand with that? And also, um, he could shoot the basketball. I mean, I know there's some concerns off the dribble, but he got a nice look at jump shot. I mean, it was going in against Gonzaga. I think it looks pretty good. And we've seen in the high school highlights, he has range. Yeah, what are your thoughts on J.D. Davison? A big J.D. Davison guy. Uh, he's top 10 for me. I think he has the potential to rise a little bit. I have him ninth on my board right now or at around Christmas time. So. Okay. Uh, that's kind of the spot where we're at right now. Big fan of his offensive versatility, the athleticism, how he's able to create with the ball in his hands. I think he has a very high assist rate in terms of his usage, which is a great indicator for efficiency at the next level as a playmaker. Um, also been impressed by the way he's played off ball. You know, Alabama runs a very simplistic type of offense, more of a your turn, my turn, pick and roll or isolation type of attack where they just space the floor and bombs away on their catch and shoots. His ability to play off ball and knock down some of those jump shots, I believe he's around 37% right now from three, has been not something I anticipated coming into the year. The athleticism comparison with Jade and Ivy is a, a really fascinating one for me. I think Ivy is a faster accelerator. He's a little bit better end-to-end, -end, and he is much better with what I call last-step quickness, that ability to kind of mm move around as you need with your last step in order to adjust to help defense or contort your body to finish at the basket. I think Davidson's probably a little more overwhelming in terms of his power right now, especially when he gets ahead of steam going towards the basket, but he's not quite as elusive as Ivy in some of those ways. That's interesting. So they're pretty close on your board, those two, right? They are. Yeah. Ivy right now is fourth and Davidson is ninth. Positionally, how would you see those guys at the NBA level? I think Davison's probably a little bit better in terms of playing off ball, but okay. I would want both to be uh, played with the ball in their hands. I, I think both are kind of the, their optimal usage is being more of a lead guard than a complimentary one. So JD's teammate, Javon, not as highly touted of a prospect. It seems like jelly fan was so long ago, man. Uh, he's a little bit older, right? He's a little bit older now, but um, do you think he'll get a look, good look for the league? Is first round a possibility or you think he's more of a second round prospect? I think he's more of a second round or kind of priority undrafted free agent type of guy. There's no doubt he can run a team. He, he, he shoots it pretty well. He's just really, really solid on the offensive end. But with his size and the defensive ability and at his age, 
you worry about where the upside is going to be, right? How much bloom is left on the rose? I think that's probably one of the reasons that a team doesn't lock him into a typically four-year contract that you would get in the first round is they're looking for guys that are either very certain that they have fewer flaws and are going to help them because I think the defense is a little bit of a flaw for Quinterly at the next level or that there's projectable upside to continue to tap into. He doesn't check either box, so he's more of a second-round guy for me, but uh, big fan of the way that he plays, and, and I think that it rubs off on this Alabama team. When he has the ball in his hands, he makes the best decisions out of anybody on the floor. Exciting team, for sure. Oh, so much fun to watch. Yeah. Um, Tyler Hero, um, Emmanuel Quickly, even B.J. Boston showing some promise. Does Ty Ty Washington – kind of fall into that mold of Kentucky players that might be better pros? I think he does. And I think we can also throw Jamal Murray and, uh, yeah. and Devin Booker into that mix. Right, too, right, right. right. Like Booker was never used out of the pick and roll when he was in college. And, and I always like to look back at old film of prospects and, and kind of learn from where we had rankings initially to try to see what we could have changed or, or gotten right. And the biggest takeaway from Booker that I gained was, he had, I think, three overall possessions that ended with him facilitating a pick and roll in college. He's one of the most lethal pick and roll creators in the NBA right now. Just because he wasn't asked to do something at Kentucky doesn't mean that he's not capable of doing it. And that was a, a huge lesson for me to learn as a talent evaluator. Ty Ty Washington is fairly constrained in terms of his role in the offense. But the stroke that he has on, on pull-up jumpers how comfortable he looks in the mid range and creating out of the pick and roll. I think that that has a huge opportunity to pop at the next level. So Ty Ty is another one of those that's on the top 10 of my big board right now. Wow. So I, I would say Ty Ty and JD are not on the top of all top 10 mocks and drafts we're seeing out there. Right. I think it's a little bit outside of consensus. Maybe a little bit. I think both are getting kind of late end of the lottery looks where they're okay. probably at like 12 to 18 range. I have them nine and 10 on our board right now. Okay. We discussed Jaden Hardy, but is there any other takeaways from the G league Ignite that have been on your mind? I think the biggest takeaway is probably more towards the 2023 class, which oh, is that Scoot Henderson. Scoot is yeah. legit. Yeah. yeah, yeah. He, he's legit. Um, I've turned into a big fan of Dyson Daniels. Mm. I think that he's just a very solid all around guy. Probably going to be one of those more glue player type of, of backcourt mates, not somebody great that, defender. Great defender, really heady passer, can knock down an open shot, like does a little bit of everything very, very well. But I don't know if he has one particular strength. And then it's been it's been great to see Marjan Bochamp kind of uh, rehabilitate his image a little bit and probably force his way into the conversation for being a late first round pick. So an interesting exercise of thought would be uh, Scoot Henderson. Where would he land in the 2022 draft if he was eligible? One, I think he'd be the top overall pick this year. I don't, I don't think that that's very, uh, very wow. bold to take either. Yeah. Wow. He, he's terrific. And, and so athletic off the bounce makes every single decision that you'd want him to make competitive, very good from three point range. Like he checks every single box for what you look for in a point guard that you would be able to come up with in a lab. I just, I don't love Chet Paolo or Jabari enough to really take any of them over scoots upside in the future. All right. Uh, any international prospects that you've been really paying attention to or you think will be great NBA players or a potentially great NBA player? For me, Nikola Jovic, who plays over at Mega, has been one guy that I Not really to be mistaken with Jokic. 
No, not to be mistaken. You should you should see the YouTube comments we get sometimes. There's a, there's a lot of people who try to correct us for like, no, 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 this is a different guy, Nikola Jovic. <laughs> yeah. uh, he played really well in the FIBA U19 games, really, really well. And he struggled to start the year for Mega. I think that perception-wise, because EuroLeague competition and Adriatic League competition starts in September, and we have as a scouting world, all of our eyes on them for really a month and a half to two months before college and G league and all these other stuff begins that a negative first impression can be really hard to come back from because we look at somebody, they, they don't perform well. And now we kind of move on and look elsewhere. And that was the taste that they left in our mouth. Jovich had a really tough start to the season shooting the basketball wise. Now he's a six ten kind of point forward who's great in transition and needs to be able to shoot the three ball in order to Im impact the game because he, he struggles defensively. There's no two ways about it, but he was getting, he was getting exposed on that end and the shot wasn't falling, which meant kind of fewer minutes. And when he was playing, it just wasn't, he wasn't confident. He wasn't performing well. I think he's been a lot better lately and he's still a guy that, that we look at as a first round pick kind of that middle to late part of the first round. But I just hope that people haven't given up on him and, and sold all of their stock because I think there's a true NBA player in there. Yeah, not comparing him at all to Jaden Hardy, but it's the same kind of thing. Like the shot is good. It just the efficiency isn't great at times, right? Yeah. Well, and I think more than anything, we all get caught up. We try so hard not to get caught up in small sample size features, but all of a sudden we take seven, eight, nine games to start a season. And we look at somebody's shooting splits and we say, Oh, he's disappointing. I'm ready to sell my stock. Like, I, I mean, people, people were doing that with Cade as a rookie, which was ridiculous. Yeah. But especially for guys who are going to shoot the basketball, like they need right. to have a little bit longer yeah. of a leash in order to do that. If you know, it's not going to be automatic every single time. I just mentioned Cade. What has surprised you most about the 2021 rookie class? Surprised me most. Um, I think the biggest surprise to me is how well Evan Mobley and Jarrett Allen have fit together. And, and Cleveland has been able to put together winning basketball. Like my worry with Mobley was having him be a full-time four. I think he's definitely talented enough to, to pull it off defensively, but I had my worries on offense and he and Jarrett Allen have had great synergy, both in the pick and roll when one of them is a the short roller and one of them's in the dunker spot or in kind of trading off and being the, the lead guy at the five in those moments. I, I've been impressed by that. Uh, I, I think one guy, this is, this is that fringe question, but Austin Reeves having a, a positive impact for the Lakers has surprised me just coming in and embracing his role. One of those areas that probably should have seen coming based on his, his draft profile and what he did really well and, and underrated a little bit in some of those ways. Um, but I think those two, and then just how good of a passer Alfie Shengun is. Uh, he, and I really liked him as a prospect, but man, yeah. can that be pass? Yeah. The Twin Towers thing is interesting because a few teams tried it this year. Indiana, that's not working out. Orlando, we know they're still building. I mean, they tried uh, Wendell and Bamba. But the Cleveland thing seems to be working. Do you think more teams will try this approach? I don't really think so because I think it is still going to be like the small ball era and more of a guards game. Yeah, I'm not sure. So I'm actually starting to, to look into writing a piece on three different teams that have built their rosters in different ways. One is Toronto, who has a lot of long, lanky kind of front court wings and, and bigger wings. They're so interesting. They just try and get long, lanky guys who could defend and let's teach them how to shoot. And then, that's right. You know what I mean? 
Yep. And then Oklahoma City, who has one of the largest backcourts that you can think of with Giddy and Shea Gilgis Alexander. Yeah, that's, and yeah, they're, you know, yeah. a, a weird piece in Poku. Like, I don't really know what position he plays, but just getting a bunch of length on their roster as they build this out. And then thinking about Cleveland, who has two massive guys who are both really bigs, but they use them to counteract how small they are in the backcourt and funnel everything towards their size. So a really fascinating dichotomy. I think more teams are going to start to fall in the Toronto or Oklahoma City camp, as opposed to trying to copy the model in Cleveland of having two truer big guys play yeah. alongside each other. Uh, but I think it's a fascinating way that the NBA is moving. You mentioned Poku, so let's end on it. What are you, what are you feeling about his NBA outlook from what you've seen so far from him in the NBA? Yeah, I, I struggle to really dive uh you know, enthusiastically into embracing Poku right now. I think that the tools that he has in his tool bag are incredibly impressive for somebody his age and his size that you want to be able to work with him and try to develop that into something. But I feel like a lot of times I struggle to project prospect where I don't even know where to start, right? What's your first hang hat on your head skill? And then what do we need to continue to improve? Right. I think there are so many different areas that you could go for a toolsy guy like Poku that it, it kind of feels like too many options for me to try to figure out. So I steer clear from even trying, uh, but I think he's going to be a serviceable kind of rotation guy, but I certainly don't project him as somebody that's a starter on a thunder team that winds up being good in three, four or five years. Adam, thank you so much for taking the time. You're always welcome back on the show. Where can we find you on social media, YouTube, anywhere else? No, appreciate it, Andrew. Always have fun coming on and, and chatting basketball with anybody who will listen. Uh, <laughs> anybody can find me on YouTube. Just search my name, Adam Spinella. And then beyond that, make sure you follow us on Twitter at the box and one underscore the box and one underscore. A lot of great videos. Go subscribe to the YouTube channel. Adam, thank you so much. You're always welcome back on the show and talk soon. All right, Andrew. Appreciate you. Happy holidays. Yes, sir. You too. There it is. Thank you for tuning in to Combo's Court Podcast. Big thanks to Adam for joining in. We appreciate you, Combo Nation. Don't forget to rate, review, and punch down on that subscribe button wherever you tune into the show. If you're listening on the Apple Podcast app, leave a five-star rating, a friendly comment, and punch down on the follow button. Share this episode with a friend. Share it on social media, Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook. Share it on your IG stories and tag me. On Instagram at 1-2-Combo. That's O-N-E-T-W-O-C-O-M-B-O. Be on the lookout for episode 328. Combo out.